sit down and listen to records Smell the cover, read all the verses Tell me about your favorites on vinyl and vision Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Tonight's a very special episode, uh, not only because of my guest, uh, Johnny the Colonel McGuire, but because uh, we are also celebrating our one-year anniversary. Uh, it was one year ago, uh, not to this day, I'm recording this on the 28th, but on the 29th, September 2018, is when I debuted my first episode. Um, so i just like to um, dedicate a little bit of time to say thank you to all of my guests, uh, who I will not name only because I do not want to uh, miss uh, miss out on anybody or forget anybody, uh, but uh, they've all been just great and gracious people, dedicating their, their time uh, to, to me and just to hang out with me and talk records, and it's been a lot of fun, it's been uh, just a great experience, and so I'd like to say thank you to them, and thank you to all the listeners. All the people that have been uh, tuning in, subscribing, uh, liking, commenting, sharing. It's, uh, it's all been very, very helpful, and I really appreciate it. I thank you all. I encourage you to keep on doing that, please. Go back into the catalog and go ahead and research uh, any number of the guests that I've had. And, uh, you know, if you find one you like, by all means, share it and do it all those things that you do with the Internet. I'd, uh, I'd appreciate it. So tonight's Johnny the Colonel McGuire. So some of you may remember him from being a founding member of the band The Royal Crowns, which was uh, founded in September 1993, went on to be called The Amazing Royal Crowns. Uh, he's also been part of the bands The Lucky Diamonds and The Cobra Maddox, whose music you will be hearing uh, throughout, speckled, speckled throughout the episode tonight. Um, we are also um, featuring Chet Atkins' Workshop was Johnny's record of choice. So uh, that was released in 1961, I believe, and it's a pretty cool record, uh, very guitar-heavy, jazzy, uh, finger-picky, I think, kind of, but uh, Johnny goes into better detail of it, so I'll leave him to it. Um, you'll also be listening to that right now, uh, underneath this little intro. Uh, Johnny's also been a producer, he's also been a DJ, and he has also hosted his own guitar show called Colonel's Guitar Party, which I hope will be making a comeback sometime soon. Uh, it's been, I think it's been a while since uh, one of those have happened, but uh, definitely an interesting thing to check out if you love guitars and you like good music, similar to the Chet Atkins that we will be listening to tonight. I forgot to mention, uh, Johnny also uh, is a antiques dealer, and he uh, regularly participates in the Providence Flea, which is a very big flea market outdoor uh, vending event. It happens just about every single week. I don't know how many are left this year, but if you see them, go and you can find him. Otherwise, he's always at other, uh, other big events. Uh, typically, those uh, uh, rock and roll yard sales are usually a big one. But um, check him out on, uh, on all the uh, social medias. And you can follow him there and find out more information about where he will be and when he will be there, because he's not just in Rhode Island. He does travel around. So give him a follow, look for him, help him out. Thank you very much. Um, so yes, everyone, thank you again. Like I said before, just do all the things you do with the internet, and I would really appreciate it. Uh, without further ado, here is our show. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what's this record? Let me see. 
Chet Atkins. This is Chet Atkins' workshop. So Chet Atkins' workshop. Now, what is this record to you? Like, as far as like, you know, why would you why would you choose this? When I first um, really started getting getting into playing guitar, and uh, you know, I just grew up listening to like. Um, I remember being a kid and looking at the TV, and it was like they were showing all these like commercials for people that were from like the 50s. <laughs> and it was like reissuing all those records and stuff. It was like the Everly Brothers, it was uh, Bill Haley, it was Buddy Holly, it was all this mm. stuff, and um, Elvis. And so. That's what I liked as a kid. And then there was all this rock and roll going on, too, that I was into. But then when I started getting into guitar, I was really into certain guitar players. But then I would see what they liked. And I would go backwards into what they were into. And then once I discovered the Chet Atkins stuff, like Chet Atkins was a, a household name, but I didn't really know was like, oh, Chet, you know, like this mm. country guy. Everybody thought he was like the most famous country guitar player. And, I, and uh, but then I started, you know, I found some records. And uh, this one I like because it's kind of like, um, some of the early stuff, it's in the middle and he was experimenting with all these sounds. Yeah. There's like some of the stuff you hear in these like late 50s, early 60s are like the first wah-wah. On a on a record, the first these crazy echoes and tremolos and stuff that these guys are experimenting with, they're on these records, and it's the first time you're hearing them ever. Hmm. There's all these sounds. Yeah. And it was his playing was just like unbelievable. Everybody, I think a lot of people know me. They're like, I was like really into chat and I like all kinds of things, but he was the guy that really got me going into, uh, you know, just trying to be a better guitar player and also be a good person. This guy mm. was like one of the nicest people in music, and I looked up to him. Um, you know, like this guy's a great model, yeah, as a person, you know, yeah. without him. And what he did, there wouldn't have been so much music. Yeah. He inspired everybody that got, you know, Scotty Moore and Dwayne Eddy and The Ventures and all these other people, even blues people. I talked to B.B. King one time and he said, what do you like? And I was like, well, I like, you know, these guitar players. And I was kind of like a little embarrassed because I was, you know, most people go, yeah, I'm into this blues guy. And I'm like, he's like, what do you listen to? I'm like, Chet Atkins, Dwayne Eddy, The Ventures. Mickey Baker and he's like oh my god I love all that stuff oh, yeah. he's like those guys we, we were all trying to be like that we were even I growing up in Memphis we were trying to be like Elvis and right. he's like that's what it's not what you think for some of those blues guys they think oh they're going to be into 
blame Blake or Charlie Patton and stuff. He's like, no, we're into Chet. Hmm. He's like, <laughs> right. everybody was into him. He thought yeah. it was funny. Well, if, he was, yeah, if he's a, if he's so innovative in in his like style of playing, like obviously introducing like effects pedals and stuff like that to to his playing, introducing it to the world for the most part, obviously other players are going to see that as an influence and kind of like see look to him to kind of like see what he's doing so that they can kind of pull off that as well everybody right? was into Les Paul and even Chet was Chet was into Django Reinhardt and Les Paul and Merle Travis and other in blues guys and stuff and that's where he got his thing but he started to create his own technique hmm. and uh, but Chet and Les were like pushing the envelope like multi-track recording right all kinds of studio things and uh they were way ahead of the curve and they influenced everybody right and right. uh yeah there wouldn't be especially like when you get into so many people the scotty moore took what chet did and made it more rock and roll he's the guy that was really heard all over the world on the elvis records mm -hmm. people had were into chet but scotty made it huge he made like this guy playing these cool things behind the biggest singer in the world at the time. And uh, that got everybody into that stuff and then back into Chet. And, you know, the ventures, like with Walk Don't Run, that was a huge hit. But they got it from listening to Chet records. And um, he got it from this guy, Johnny Smith, who was a jazz player. So they would take things and redo them and, and then make it their own way. And then it got to different levels. So. Hmm. But Chet was really the guy that. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you take him out of the equation, music is a different world. <laughs> right. And he also was uh, not just a player, he was uh, moved up the ranks in RCA and signed Dolly Parton in, in uh, so many different people. You know, it was just he brought Elvis to RCA from Sun. Oh. And there was just tons of people that he um, got their careers going. Yeah. He was very humble. He was so down to earth and everybody loved him. Yeah. And uh, he influenced everyone. So So let me ask you a couple of questions because um, I personally am not very familiar with Chet Atkins nor that era of music. Um, uh, this this to me, uh, from like my layman's perspective that I'm telling you about, is um, is a very heavy, like guitar heavy era. In music and rock and roll, like the beginnings of rock and roll, yeah, coming from I suppose a jazz and blues basis. And well, it was the electric, you know, the, when the, oh, electric the electric yeah guitar came out, it was like it was people. It started to get into the hands of like people that were playing blues, but then it's it was also country. Mm -hmm. They started getting these early. When they started making it was like Fender and Gibson, and then Gretsch. But they, it's like putting the guitars in the hands of these people they thought were the most influential. Uh, influential. Uh, they would go, Leo Fender would go to concerts on the West Coast and, hey, here's this new guitar we just invented. Hmm. Do you want to try it out? And get in in front of all these people. And they did that. And um, Gibson did that. Um, and they all did. And somebody, you know, were like... Gretsch was trying to get, they went after Chet and said, well, this guy is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, he went to Les Paul. He's like, how do we, he's a, um, he didn't know how to 
you know, negotiate a deal. <laughs> yeah. To get to the guitar, it was so laid back and easy going and excited that somebody wanted to put his name on a guitar. Right. And uh, Les Paul had already done that with Gibson. And a lot of these guys were not, even Gibson, he had to, Les Paul had to convince them for, you know, a long time to drive him crazy to get him to endorse it. And hmm. you, you got to think, like, that's the beginning you know late 40s 50s this is we're so used to electric guitars now and and all the stuff but back then it was this radical yeah instrument yeah. even well and then like how, what you were saying about um you know him trying to uh getting convinced to get to sign on to rca right um there was like the record industry was it it was infancy at the at this point oh, yeah, too totally. i mean they didn't know what they were doing as far as it's like even signing a contract what to expect from from putting out a record like yeah, he could. The thing with Chet was he could play anything, even early. He did stuff that was like people liked. He was extremely musical, and um, he could play all these tunes that were that big band songs and stuff from movies, and he could do all this stuff. So everybody liked him. Mm -hmm. He wasn't doing anything, you know. He started to could push the envelope, but he was very accepted because he. You know, he was a total pro, and he did would do radio shows and play his guitar. But, you know, he even, like, got fired from things. And, you know, like, you know, they wanted him to sing or, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we like your guitar playing, but can you sing? Can you do this? <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, all of these people started, uh, you know, they all weren't superstars from day one. Right. You know, yeah. So. yeah. Well, learning process for, for all of them. You know, I mean, they were they were the founders of what the music industry would become, uh, technology would become. So yeah. yeah, music changed, and they had to get their feet in the door, and they, yeah. some of them did, every you know what they had to. Do. He moved around a lot to where music was. You know, like a lot of these guys, like traveling salesmen. He, from, you know, was from Tennessee, but he went to Colorado. He went to. You know, he would go to different places to see where he fit in. Yeah. You know, he would get offers yeah. and then ended up in Nashville. Hmm. So, but he was everywhere, you know, like a lot of them. Yeah. So music would start in a certain area and then they would go where they thought it was. They would, people would talk to each other and go, well, things are happening in California. They're happening in New York. They're happening here. So right. they would jump around, mm -hmm. try and, you know, go so, where the biz was. Right, yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta chase the money, right? Wherever it's coming from, especially as a musician. Yeah, not easy. <laughs> no, no. You could stay in, you could be some of these people and stay in your tiny little town in Tennessee or Virginia or you know up here or wherever. But some of them went to, they went to New York, they went to Chicago. The blues guys went from the South to Deep South. They went to Chicago. That's where the electric stuff was, mm. and a lot of them went there and. That's how they made it. Yeah. You know, the Muddy Waters and Holland Wolfs and even, you know, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. They were all, you know, Chicago. It depends where the labels were going. So, right. Huh. So, um, now, you choosing this record, uh, like I was saying earlier, I'm not familiar with this era of music. I'm not familiar with the guitar players for the most part. I mean, I know the name, but I'm, and I, and I, I know what to assume sound-wise from this. Um, what drew you to it uh, and like where where did you end up going musically because of your influence like because of this influence on you well 
that stu- the sounds were like these crazy echoes and like um, it's really unusual and pure too. It was really clean, and but this guy's playing is like he was doing he, playing with his thumb and his fingers, and it sounded like two or three guys at the same time, and it was one. And some of his records were he made in an afternoon, and it's like ten songs of this unbelievable. He some of his early stuff was like a few classical songs, mm-hmm. and then a few rock and roll things, and then a few jazz things. <laughs> Everybody, I think back when I got into it, thought he was country, but yeah. he could play anything, and he inspired all the rockabilly and surf and and everything. Everybody, you know was into thought him and Les Paul were you know the were, pioneers the, the innovators they were, for, they were Merle for the Travis genre. and you know there's other guys too that did it but they're like the, the big ones yeah so hmm. I okay. mean I, I, I just thought it was really cool yeah <laughs> I love seeing the records I love seeing the Gretsch guitars on the covers um, and I think this stuff made a big difference for everybody who isn't for George Harrison for Eric Clapton, The Edge, uh, anybody <laughs> that was, you know, all the British Invasion guys, Jimmy Page, all of them were, you know, liked uh, seeing the old records and just getting this thing and got wow, that guitars. Yeah. You know, a lot of people that got into music saw the guitars. and. So you think it was a, a lot of a visual <laughs> kind of inspiration as just as much as it was the actual music? That oh, yeah, was on big the time. It was like, look at this crazy guitar. I want a guitar like that. Right. It's going to make that, me sound great. That big semi-hollow <laughs> semi body, right? Like, yeah. It was just like, wow, that's where it's at for me. And some people like new, you know, I'm into new instruments as well, but looking at this stuff back in the day, and I was like, holy, yeah, that's where I want to They do be look going. pretty amazing. I mean. Yeah, the Gretches old, looked they were so cool and and uh, colors were amazing and they had all this great hardware on them and right and all his early records you know they gave him this cool new model and he would put it on his covers and it, the other thing i loved about the chat records was they always had a date on the back like a lot of records don't have that that's a tiny thing but to me it's like okay now i know when this happened and um mm-hmm. a lot of times you look at records and it's like i have no idea when this was made and you have to go do all this research it's like oh chat 1961 so you can tell you know when he started doing stuff and you know yeah. what was going on at that time can i may i take a look at it yep. just because um oh yeah this is so it's the copyright date right so yep now even for reissues the copyright date remains the same but yeah. the publishing will change to be like, oh, 2013 or whenever it was reissued. Yeah, but they, they, you know, I think they reissued these things on yeah. CD. I don't know if they put his stuff out on vital again, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder. Should. <laughs> Let's take a look at that. So this is your own personal copy. This is a copy that you would not sell at, at uh, one of your fairs, right? No, I've kept, I keep like... Um, Looks great. I've collected all his stuff and... Um, the ventures and Dwayne Eddy and all that stuff, and I keep most of those. You know, I get some of those here and there, and I do sell them. And I, and it's exciting for me because this is stuff I really like. Like, it's not stuff that, like, I get a lot of people and they're like, well, what, you know? I said, what are you into? And then I, you know, and then I said, well, try this out. 
and uh, try this record. And I, I like it when people let me refer things to them. Mm -hmm. So, like, well, this guy's one of the best guitar players that ever lived. So. Yeah, I just want to take a little bit of detail of your record here, just because, uh, you know, I like to focus on the record itself just as much as uh, the music and, and the, the guests that are on the shows. But like you're saying, what I, what's fi what I find intriguing about this record is the, uh, the photo here on the cover. You can see all of that technology behind him, all of that <laughs> new stuff that he was, I guess, you know, experimenting with. Well, he... Because as well on the back here, it has this nice, this funky drawing. Yeah, the crazy of, thing about him was that was in his house. Right. He was so ahead of the curve, he was getting this equipment, he took it home. He would record some of his parts at home and then do the rest in the studio. But he was a perfectionist, you know? He was like, he wanted things to sound great and put out this great, but a lot of the stuff, he put it together. And he, he got stuff from, uh, you know, he designed a lot of these and some of these things are, I have friends that are into this, you know, I think this is an iconic, it's got a guitar in the background, all this gear, and it's just like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And I did research, and I'm like, well, what, you know, what did all this stuff do? And yeah, it was just experimenting and uh, creating. He was inventing this stuff. Les Paul did the same thing. Right. They were making, you know, multi-track recording and way ahead of everybody. Mm -hmm. I think this is in the... It's great because it's sort of like... He'd been around for a little while. He started in the mid-late 40s, and by the late 50s, early 60s, he was rolling and uh, not just as a musician, but, you know, went to, um, with the RCA and all kinds of things. Yeah, he was yeah. well-established. and Right. But it's just cool. It's, yeah. So now, uh, when you were describing the influence of this on you, you had mentioned something about, um, you used the word rockabilly, as in, like, the, those people, like, gained their influence from this, you know, highly, of course, heavily. Um I would, I would use that same word to describe what I know of you and your musical styling and, and the music that you've done, that I know that you've done. Um, that's fair to say? Yeah. And how, how, what puts you in that direction? Like, what, like, because, I don't know, rockabilly to me is a very strange thing because I feel like it's a very much a lifestyle. Is, is that right? <laughs> well, it, it, it is and it isn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people think it is. To me, it's the music. And, um, you know, it's a certain, it's almost, it, you know, it was came out of country and blues and um, you know they took this stuff and made it more energetic and upbeat it was really like mm -hmm. punky yeah uh, you know rockabilly was wild it was like kind of rebelling against like big band stuff it was simpler smaller bands like you know there was jazz and swing and stuff in certain areas even western swing there were bigger bands it was a big full sound Rockabilly was like simp much simpler, mm -hmm. and the the guitar players were trying to do as much as they could with one guitar, and they were taking trying to do horn parts and hearing whole things and making it trying to cram it onto one guitar, and mm -hmm. you know Chet could do so many things. So I don't know if people really ever consider him rockabilly, but he certainly he could play anything, and he influenced you know like Scotty Moore and. All these other people that were the first people that really played it yeah so they were into blues and but everybody wanted to be like him yeah right, right. they did they were just 
you know they thought he was right amazing. so what so what is it about rockabilly because do you have to kind of do you have to make a conscious effort to say like okay i want to be a rockabilly player i want to be in a rockabilly band or is it just kind of like what came out of you because i don't know what your writing process was like i don't know like you know kind of where you started musically like i liked all kinds of like i said when i was a kid i was into old rock and roll and 50 stuff but i you know um around me in the world was mm-hmm. 70s rock mm-hmm. it was pink floyd and the doors and acdc and steve miller <laughs> and all that yeah. going on and then there are punk early punk stuff and alternative came in later yeah it was into um all kinds of things but then once i started to play guitar i i got it was more into like um you know, kind of like uh, stuff at the time that I thought was cool and, mm-hmm. and unique and pushing it and stuff that was... D- the people that I liked were like The Edge and Johnny Marr and Peter Buck and new bands in the 80s, you know, replacements, who's could do all this, tons and tons of stuff. But they were all... When I read interviews with them and, you know, I was always doing research on people and where did they get their sound from and how did they come up with this that time everybody was saying what I do is cool but go off and do your own thing don't sound like me come up with in the 80s the big thing was do your own style Mm -hmm. don't copy people yeah you know and like so I I, that was important for me like yeah I gotta do my own thing so that's the rule <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody was like, you could go copy, and there was always people that copy somebody's style. But I was like, I'm gonna come. I wasn't. I didn't know how to play. I went out and remember seeing like you two live at Red Rocks and seeing the Edge, and I'm like, or the Clash, and like bands like that, being like, wow, this is so cool. I want to be like this guy. So I went and bought a guitar. I went out and bought this Blackfin Stratocaster. Literally had never, I had no idea how to play a guitar. I, had, I didn't know how to tune it. I didn't know anything. I didn't know you had to tune it. So I bought this, I had a neighbor that worked in the music business and I said, I want a black Fender Stratocaster. I want to be the edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or like, and, it, and he said, um, all right, comes back, comes over one day with, it. how much you want to spend? I said, well, I have $300. And this is in 1985. And he said, um, he comes over with this black strat, and he said, I got this at this place, and uh, so I gave him the money, and I just would pull it out every day and look at it. I didn't know how to play it. I didn't know how to tune it. I went and got a tuner. Then he started sitting down and, uh, and you know, just trying to learn. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I couldn't, I figured out very quickly that I wasn't good at learning other people's stuff. My, I couldn't figure it out. So just started writing things, oh. just really simple things, and yeah, that's how my playing progressed. But I was not good at learning. So how old were you when you started? Eighteen. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was late to the game. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, 
So, so you taught yourself, you were just kind of learning by ear, you're kind of just figuring out things, learning how to kind of make your own little fingerings and chord progressions. Yeah, I would sit down and listen to records and try and play it, and it was <laughs> yeah, frustrating, not right? happening at all. <laughs> and I tried and tried, and I used to play records like this, and my parents would knock on the door and be like, wow, that sounds great. And, it, and like, is that you? And I'm like, no, that's Chet Atkins. Like, I've been playing like four weeks. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not a virtuoso. Four months or a year. And they weren't into it at all. They didn't, they didn't think they, music was like a hobby. Yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't make a living. You couldn't do anything with music. It's fun. Right. They couldn't understand why I was playing so much and into it. And I just really started to go see bands and clubs at that point. Yeah. So. And what, what time is this frame? What time frame? Uh, Mid-80s. Okay. Yeah. I started to see bands in the early 80s. Uh, the first thing I ever saw in a big concert was like Jay Giles' band. Oh. And, and then stuff U2 after that and just started to see anything. Then by the time I was out of high school, I got to college and I just started to go to clubs Yeah. and see bands. Yeah, smaller independent acts, punk yep. acts. Yep, anything I thought was cool. Some nights I went to see stuff I didn't think was cool, but... Or didn't love, but I always figured I can learn some. I can learn what to do, or I can learn what not to do by watching these bands. Like, right. don't do this. Yeah, this sucks. Or, <laughs> or this guy's great, or this band's great, and this is how you do it. Yeah. So when so. did you first feel like you were comfortable enough to maybe even try to start a band or join a band? It took a couple of years. I I wanted. To, I started playing and trying. Felt like I was. I had to get people together like I would see ads and like these small papers and stuff and I would try and call these people and join bands it was a whole different world out there before what we have now on the internet and everything it was it right. was like ads on telephone poles and um, ads in the local music papers and stuff right and it was it was a whole different world it was much difficult much more difficult to be in a band and to um get shows and put stuff out you couldn't just like you you had to you know get people interested in you not anybody could put out music you had to get money you had to get somebody behind you you had to do all these shows it was a whole different thing now anybody can go by recording equipment and record themselves and have very little experience and get people interested in them. Right. It wasn't like that back there. in the day. Right, right. I mean, you can record stuff on your phone and put it up on the computer, Yeah. put it up on a, on a website, yeah, and all of a sudden playing. the whole world can hear it. Yes. Yeah. Back then it was not that at all. Right. I mean, the whole world's not going to listen to it, but you have no, the option. No, but you had access. That, exactly. There was no access. You had to get money from working or shows right and you had to go to a studio you, you had, had to, to go to a studio, studio just to make like a demo tape right that was a big deal and then you had to to get bigger people interested in you you had to get on big shows you had to right it was different business yeah so yeah and it, it, i think it made music scenes better you had to work harder right you had to be better to get people to notice you it's you true there's a certain ethic that you needed to kind of learn to kind of like say, well, I have to compete with these guys that are on the big bills that like, oh yeah, to just get your foot in the door to get respected by anybody to even have you booked. 
yep. you obviously had to show that you had the chops. Yeah, yeah. You had to make recordings and send them to people and like. Right. Yeah, it was it was you know yeah totally different. Right. So, so what's I don't the, think you know, I think it's great now that people can record things, but right. I get things on like my Instagram feed, and it's somebody a band that's brand new, or somebody that hasn't been playing long, and they're just paying to get a commercial, and I'm getting to see these people that just started playing. Like, right. I don't even feel comfortable putting stuff out there that that is new, but everybody else does. <laughs> it's like, I'm like more right. like picky, like, oh, I want this to sound good and yeah. sound finished and be professional. Not like just writing a song and throwing it out there on right. the internet and letting people think, hey, yeah. tell me what you think. Right, right. To me, that's crazy well you had that ethic you know burned into your mind yeah. earlier on being like well this is this is the way you do it which is a good uh ideology i think yeah. i think that you know more people need to think about that it's just like yeah you can just put out shit all day long every day but is it worth it ultimately no you want to polish this thing down yeah make it presentable yeah. for people that so that when they hear it they're like wow this is good this is amazing because you can see it you can see it on a band like if you see two bands in the same night, you're like that band has been touring for months straight. When the other band's just like, whoa, they like practice twice a week, maybe. You know, like it, everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody's, you know, you're learning. But um, you know, sometimes I don't know. I didn't. You know, people can judge you so easy. Like you could be somebody new and put something out there, and if it's not great or people don't like it you're stuck with that for a long time right like people just gonna oh i saw that guy i don't i don't think that was that great or right and then you've got that reputation it's like you, you kind of want to put things out there that are mm -hmm. you know the best you can do it and you know like yeah like i just said like everybody's got to start people understand like when i started i wasn't i had no idea how to play i was learning but i was trying mm -hmm. people understand that and we were I was always improving, so they got it. But um, yeah, you just got to be. I think you got to be careful and about what you what you're putting out there, and just make it your best thing. People are just they can tell if you're sincere. Right. They can tell you're working on something. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. That's, <laughs> you can play three notes. That's okay. Like <laughs> yeah, just make it try hard. You know. <laughs> right. So, what's the first band you ended up? getting into when you were you know checking out these you know little boards and stuff trying to rep reply to ads or whatever i tried playing with you know like i'll oh, try out for this band and that band and but it would you know it wasn't like um i started a thing when i got to college and uh with some guys and they were much better than me but they were nice they were cool and they knew that i, I could write a little bit but they were you know, they were way ahead of me, but they were like, you know, they worked with me and I, that got going and then I just kept pushing it and got into this band. Well, I went to see these guys in the early 90s. They were Rhode Island School Design Band and they were this crazy, like, um, rockabilly, weird monster thing mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, kind of cramps-ish. And I said, oh, I want to... It was like a singer... Two singers, that, but they played a drum and they had a guitar player, and they knew the guitar player was leaving. So I want to play with these guys. This is nutty. Yeah. It was crazy. So I approached them and they said, Yeah, this would be great. So I started really working with that thing. Um, 
and that's when my songwriting got better and I just but it was simple stuff very yeah. simple did that stuff. band have a name like what was it was that? called the phantom creepers phantom creepers and it was oh. like 1990 uh 91 but it was like a college these guys came to Rhode Island from Chicago and they were just went to school and they were dishwashers in this restaurant mm -hmm. and I was working and I got a this guy I knew got me a job in this restaurant that was like my first real connection to Providence music scene so there all these musicians would come in and surrounded by you know it's more in the music scene getting into the music scene and meeting people mm. and that's how I met them and and then we started doing shows. But, you know, we tried to record some stuff. Very simple. Um, was living in a house with a guy who was in a band that was doing well, recorded us, put us on a, like a 45. And um, we did one thing on our own. But then they finished school. And that was it. They left. Like oh. people in Rhode Island back then, they would come here. And, and as soon as their last day of school back on the airplane see you later right yeah <laughs> now people stay here but back then they didn't yeah they just came went to school did their thing and they were gone and then oh. us locals would stick around and yeah manage the fallout yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah just and then connect with other people and go see I just always every <clears throat> night I was going <clears throat> to see bands mm -hmm. I was either in going to see bands or in a bar talking to musicians and learning and just always trying to pick things up and listening to music like crazy yeah that was half of the other half was sitting with the guitar but the other half was immersing myself in socializing yeah. yeah yeah just watching and learning and checking things out becoming part of the scene kind of immersing yourself in the culture yeah because it really is one it's really oh, totally kind of strange but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a massive thing. I think that's important to go see music, you know, and be in, invested in your scene and your city, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yep. Yeah, that was a, it. Was so different. The clubs were, you know, people were into going to see music all the time. You didn't. They went to see big bands. They went to see small bands, and you could see at the time there was a lot of great stuff. You could go up and coming at that time in the mid '80s. Or early 80s through the late 90s there was so much stuff around here that bands everybody would come to Providence yeah they would whether <clears throat> it didn't wasn't always like um, Friday or Saturday night but everybody came through here there was like a stop between New York and Boston right so it was on it was on the circuit yeah yeah so. I, I guess we had some decent venues too at the time I mean even historically we've actually had uh, what was it the the Providence Theater or something? It used to be on North Main? Oh, there was a place. Uh, it was... I don't remember what it was called now. But it was right think. next to where the parlor is now. Yeah. It was, well, it was Rhode Island Auditorium. Oh, okay. And they had a club in there. I'll, I'll remember it. Um, but that was where... It was Center State. No, something like that. But they had... It was where a lot of punk new bands were playing... And in the early '80s, you oh. two, Stray Cats, everybody, like big, big alternative bands were playing there. Yeah, you name it. At that time, that's where they. I think it was center stage. It was something like that on the main event or something. Hmm. Um, 
Cool. But it, yeah, uh, that was. I started to go to the old living room. Um, not the first one, the, the one that what they called the bubble, and then Club Babyhead, and um, you know the first big shows I saw were the Providence Civic Center. But I saw college shows at Brown University. Mm-hmm. They were always bringing cool stuff. Um, so yeah, the college ones I saw stuff where I was, and that was fun to go see these new up and coming bands. Yeah, and you could get close to them and talk to them, and right, it's crazy. So you got to meet a lot of like really, or at least kind of see and possibly interact with some of these now probably massive or influential or uh, cult-like people, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw stuff from, you know, like five feet away that, um, and, and when there was 20 people there or 50 or 75 mm-hmm. or 400, but compared to... 10 or 50,000 yeah that's <laughs> seeing these great bands at the time with 400 people was pretty yeah you know the first club show I went to see was the replacements wow and the Tim tour and it was insane I was like 18 and I got in somehow drinking age was 21 but uh and they were crazy they were drunk as hell <laughs> and they could barely play yeah but, I mean because they were wasted it's not like they couldn't they had great tunes and right. they were just so drunk and but it was like this is um, this is awesome yeah. <laughs> oh, it was <that's> wild <laughs> see and I started going to see bands all the time Who's Could Do and Chameleons and you know anybody that was something coming and all these cool local bands that were around here and mm-hmm. so but a lot of it you know was alternative but I saw anything I saw Social Distortion and The Cramps and the Red Hot Chili Peppers in front of 50 people and wow. tons of stuff like that. It was stuff here all the time. There, People were at these clubs that were actively seeking out great stuff and bringing it here. Right. And I don't think that happens as much. Yeah. Um, I think I see in Providence getting passed over a lot. Now especially, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's nobody here bringing in certain things. I think that changed... Um, the big factor used to be the record stores. There were so many record stores in Providence and up on Thayer Street, and they used to call, the booking agents would call the record stores every week and go, hey, I got a chance to get this band, Reverend Horton Heat, Southern Culture on the Skids, Big Sandy, um, or anybody, and go, what do you think? Are they selling records? Are they selling CDs? Should we get them here? Right. That's how they booked. Right, wow. That <laughs> makes sense. That's how they did it. It wasn't the agent like... The agents didn't go out to clubs every night. Right. They were calling the record stores and asking them. So makes sense. Yeah. yeah. They were yeah, they were just sitting home and <laughs> let them do all the work. Yeah. But they figured out how to do it. Huh. They figured who's selling records or and then the record labels would call the record stores too and go, Who's the best bands and do you have any bands that are drawing five thousand people or uh, selling five thousand CDs or drawing a thousand people? Right. That's what we want to find out about. Yeah. That's how they did it huh. at that time. So, Right. Amazing. Yeah. Makes sense. So different. I don't know. You know, I'm a little bit out of it now, but I don't, I don't know if that's how, that, how things are. It's so much easier now, I think, to you know, put yourself. I mean, but I also think you can put yourself out there, but I think it's clogged. The internet and hmm. music scenes are clogged with so many oh, yeah. musicians. Right. Yeah, I think um, 
and I've thought about this a lot in the last few years, is like, years ago, to be a musician, you were, those were the weird people. They were the odd ducks. Um, the guys, I remember being in high school and hearing these guys, I was a runner, and I liked sports, but hearing these guys, the music department in my school was, there wasn't really one. It was four guys after school in a, in a dark room in the basement of this, playing Black Sabbath songs. That was like, those were the weirdos in my school doing yeah. that. And to be in a band, you were different. You were not normal. You weren't accepted. They were the outcasts. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened in the, in the last, uh, you know, since like, you used to go to, you know, find a cool uh, guitar store and, but those weren't known. It was like when, when the Guitar Center and Daddy's Junkie Music and these bigger stores came along and got instruments out to the general public. I think it mm -hmm. really changed music. Yeah. And, and now anybody can get an instrument. Anyone. It used to be like, you know, normal, you know, consider normal people playing instruments. It was never, playing an instrument was never a normal thing. Right. You were, you were. You're a weirdo. Yeah. You were a weirdo. Absolutely. My parents thought I was a weirdo. And it was like, you know, they like, what the hell's wrong with him? Why does he think he's going to be a guitar player? <laughs> you know, that's for, you know, you have to, to, way back in the day, in the 1930s or 40s or 50s, you had to really want to be or show to get a guitar. They weren't cheap. Right. They weren't, you know, guitars are so cheap now and that anybody can get one. I, back in the old days, it wasn't like, I think when, um, I think everything in music changed around, in, I, I always think 1964 when the Beatles came around and they got so big and that got so many people into playing instruments. Right. Um, that British invasion. But before that, you know, even the factories like Grudge, they couldn't keep up with making instruments and the quality went down. But then you had all these Japanese companies and in foreign markets making guitars. But before that, it was small companies and, and you had to really prove that you want to be a musician. But I think because of these big stores came along and now anybody can walk into a a bigger store and buy a guitar and get started. And I think that's cool. I'm I'm glad that it's become, uh, you know, that people are more into music. But it's it's I think it's watered things down mm -hmm. a bit. You know, like you just it's it's you know it's odd seeing just you know just regular people just playing and and not against regular people. <laughs> take it that way but it's so different that you just see people that we that thought me and other musicians were weirdos right. and were treated poorly mm -hmm. right because <laughs> they thought we were these freaks yeah i remember being in my old band the royal crowns and going in to a truck stop truck stop or something and people going oh look it's the guys from happy days it's like <laughs> it was and you know because rockabilly was sort of underground it was like punk Punk and rockabilly wasn't acceptable. You weren't treated well. Oh, yeah. You know, right. having earrings or looking different, it's become very acceptable and cool. Tattoos. It wasn't. It wasn't back then. Right. Nobody had tattoos. You were, you were really 
look, looked at differently and treated differently for being into punk or alternative. Right. Yeah. No, it makes so sense. I'm glad um, you can be whatever you want to be now and be accepted and it's cool and it's on TV. I think it's great to be diverse. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad people are treated better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every all across the board in the world, no matter what you do, I'm glad that you can have tattoos or be different or have any color hair you want or dress any way you want. I think that's incredible and it's great. Yeah, I agree with you absolutely. And um, I'm glad we paved the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I miss the I miss the freaks almost a little bit, but it's, it's you know equality is great. I mean, you know, there's just so much stuff out there now. That's the only thing. That's the only problem is that now, musically speaking, at least, with all these these normal people coming out of the woodworks, just like grabbing grabbing instruments, thinking like, oh, I want I want to be the next big band on the radio. That's the problem. Yeah, I think that's it's changed in, in certain certain styles, and and I think like um, like the old idea of the four piece rock and roll band, um, is so different now. I mean, mm. I see. I'm, there's definitely people doing it and doing old school rock and roll and I'm not against technology and keyboards and whatever else everybody is doing and DJs and that's all great but um, it, the whole thing has changed in, in certain styles of music and yeah. people writing and recording very quickly on keyboards and doing you know rap and all kinds of music it's, it's like um it's so electronic-y, you yeah, know. Yeah, right. I think you got to, you know, more old-school rock and roll. I, and, uh, I I feel that way. I mean, I'm kind of more of like a uh, analog-type guy, personally. I don't like a lot of digital manipulation. I mean, like, digital technology is cool because it's yeah. easy, and it it's, it becomes very easy to use. It's user-friendly. It's, uh, it's more effective, especially if you're doing it all by yourself, you know. Um, but... I do, yeah. I, I feel like there's a certain art that's being lost. Yes. Because technology of that. is never, it's not a bad thing. Progress is not a bad thing. Right. When these guys, Chet Atkins and, and Elvis and all of these people in the 40s, late 40s and 50s were doing this, they were different. They were looked at differently because before that, it was jazz. Around here, it was swing, big band. Or like show tunes, that was a very, you know, nicely formatted, you know, type of music. And they saw these guys coming out like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. like I asked my parents, I'd say, well, I know it, they listened to big band and they listened to Irish music and they were into, you know, they liked music, but they weren't and play it. My, some of them did, but, but like, what'd you think of Elvis? Well, he was. My father said he was a punk. We didn't, we didn't like. He, they were a little older, so when he was coming around, they didn't. They thought he was too crazy. Right. You know, thought too sexually like lucid or, or uh, what, what is yeah, that word? Yeah, I just thought he was wild and like yeah. they they liked you know like swing and very you know mellow, mellow stuff. stuff in movies and and yeah, it was different. Yeah, it was so he was compared to. You know uh, what was going on? He was off the charts, right. wild. Yeah, raw. Yeah, raw. And you could in the music had changed from being everybody reading sheet music and playing in an orchestra, and music was very organized. And 
when these guys came along, it became looser and it became more experimental. And hmm. so, I'm I'm always for people experimenting and trying new things. Yeah, just don't forget where this came from. Right. Because you you want to move forward, you want to be progressive, and you want to invent new things and new pedals and new instruments, and that's all great. But you know, look at the the past too mm-hmm. to and put some of that in there. That's what yeah. I did. But I see things where it's like people just take something somebody did and put it out there and they right. they don't think um there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. They don't think there's any repercussions to yeah. it. Well I, just, you know I had a conversation about this with uh, with my old friend Steve, which was we touched on this because a lot of the pop music today, like I don't listen to a lot of pop music, but sometimes I'm by association hearing stuff like in a restaurant or a mall or something like that I'm just like listening and it's like this is this is some new pop song I was just like this is like I know this music this music is like a 70s song but it's like some new artist is just like taking legitimately taking the music back background the guitar the bass stuff like that put a different drum beat on it like a heavy like you know kick like uh, what do they call those the uh, the uh I don't know some some heavy kick, uh, bass kick thing. Yeah. So you it's got this this fat this beat. Stuff, yeah. yeah, and then you just wrap some stuff over the top of it. It's like like legitimately, I think it was like a Fleetwood Mac song. And it's like, what is, what is happening that this is okay? That this is now a new major, you know, pop release, but it's legitimately like they're bass. taking. Yeah, they just take people's stuff, and I mean, yeah. you have to go through, you know. To not end up in a lawsuit, you have to do, you have to clear all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And if you don't, you're in trouble. And in um, and I think a lot. I don't know where that wall broke down where people think they can just right take and borrow. And I and did they stop teaching plagiarism in well, class? Or I, I mean, I think that I think they pay for it. <laughs> I mean, like if it's a big pop star, yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. they have the record companies that that you know. Uh, fact check that uh, do the copyright check on stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you'd have to or you would be out of business. Yeah, yeah. So they, I'm sure that they paid off the bands that they sample from. Yeah. But the point being is this like, why, like how is this like innovative? How is this popular because you're just sampling popular music? It's already popular music. I mean, Fleetwood Mac is not a band that no one's heard of. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, now I tell you, for the music when I'm selling records the record I sell the most of, of anything, any genre, is Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Oh, yeah. I could yeah. sell, you give me copies, I'd sell them that day. They right. just That record is the biggest. I don't know if it's because of TV shows, they're touring. Yeah. It's all kinds of things, but they're amazingly popular and queen and all the stuff, but people just, I don't know, they just feel like they can take it and borrow it and copy it and sample it. And, right. You know, that's all with the technology they're getting access to it but they think they can just people think they're entitled to it right you're not you can't steal stuff it's just just lazy writing (laughs) they're doing it and everybody's letting they're doing it and nobody's stopping them right well because because the original writers they're still getting some kind of royalty from it they're still making money off of it yeah it's been been written tens of years ago um you know, so do they really care? No. Is this okay? You want to be a lazy writer and like just sample this music that's already been created, and you just put a drum beat on it and then just rap over it? Like, okay, well, hey, that's on you, but you're paying me, so I can't. I'm not really gonna say anything about it. Yeah, some people do it cleverly, <clears throat> and it's cool, 
and they yeah. bend it and they make it into something great and it gives that song new life and that's that's cool but um then there's other things where it's just no imagination and no right. uh, ambition and they they were almost playing stupid that they didn't know <laughs> that that you that know was this a real thing. song like yeah, I mean that's kind of like is, Vanilla Ice, like yeah, you know, it's just like no, no, they get dun 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 dun. Mine is dun 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 yeah. dun dun. That's Something. not gonna. That doesn't hold up in court. Yeah, yeah you don't well, want to be in court. <laughs> yeah, over music and but people, it happens because people just don't, they don't do the work and the research and um, people have always borrowed music from other people and that's, you know, happened and that's how music's developed. But you can't just go steal things. Right. Yeah, and that's no. what happens a lot. People act like, um, you know, it's more like, well, that famous saying, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. <laughs> People, that seems to be the way a lot of things yeah. are these days. Yeah. Um, well, well, so can I ask you a couple things? Because uh, we need to actually get into this record a little bit. And uh, before, we get in, before we get there, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about being in the... Royal Crowns. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called now? They're the, I know that there was the name change. Is that well, there was a name change a long time ago. Right. And that Speaking was, of copyright issue, right? Like, or, or, you know. Yeah, we had, we were playing <clears throat> and we, there was another band, there was other bands with those two words in the name. Mm-hmm. There was a band from California called the Royal Crown Review. And we were getting bigger. They were getting big. And there was people, they thought people were getting confused the records but you know it was we were a different style but um but anyway they ended up you know approaching us and saying you know you need to change your name and so we we'd already changed it once it's we started as the royal crowns and there was a band in canada called the royal crowns there was a band called crown royal there was a band called the royal trucks there was this band mm-hmm. and that band it's 10 bands but but we were successful and we were a target and so we approached and we changed it once to the amazing world crowns and then uh that wasn't good enough for them so we uh at that point i was not happy with the way things were going and i was going out the door and and they changed uh the name had to change again at that time so they dropped the royal yeah they just called amazing crowns right so um so they continued for a few years after that, and then um, recently gone back to using the old name. But the old name does not uh, is not a realistic <laughs> uh, depiction of depiction what of the band what is, was. Yeah, it's right. if you're going to call your band something and people expect it to be that, right? And they're going to show up because they think it's going to be a real reunion. Right. You better have that. If it's not that, then you got problems. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you can't call, you know, the Rolling Stones or the Doors or the Red Hot Chili Peppers and not have key members there. Right. If you're, it's okay if you want to call it, you know, what some something else. What it really is. If you want to call it the Amazing Crowns, that's fine. Right. But you can't call it the amazing royal crowns and not have me there right or right. you know it's not the same well, this, thing. this is not the first reunion that they did no they've done a few right 
And so you've never been approached at for either, for any of those incantations? I tried to put some together and then um, was, you know, then when they finally came around to doing it, I was approached, but we couldn't, I was, you know, promised that I would have more um, to do with it. And then as it got closer to the shows, it got narrowed down to having very little, if anything, to do with it. Yeah. So in that in that point, I was just like, this makes no sense. Why? Are we they're just using the name to draw people to sell tickets, and I didn't think that was fair. That's not cool to trick people into something. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're gonna do a reunion of the Smiths, and you're not gonna have Johnny Marr there, um, that's not the Smiths. Right. Or if you're not gonna have a key guy in the band. Um. It's, you know, and I'm available, like I can play. So why is this other guy that you've, you know, I understand you have other musicians that have come, but you can't, why, I can get up and play these songs. Why am I going to play two songs when I could play all my songs? Why is somebody else right. going to play my songs? Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, that, that, I mean, see, so I don't, I don't understand the, the, like what, happen there because obviously there could be a number of different factors in there uh obviously because they have another record that they released without you um so i'm i don't understand that part because i wasn't there i'm not i wasn't part of the band but uh if you are being asked to do only a couple of songs out of you know this whole set list and they are and they're still going to play the songs that you were on that you played that you wrote that you helped write Okay, that that makes a little bit more sense to be a little bit, you know, kind of uh, peeved about the thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It sounds sounds like it's just a strange situation all together. It is. We, uh, you know, when it started, it was from the beginning of that band. There was always tension, and yeah. it was like, um, you know, people that, you know, I was really, like, gotten into really wanting to do like original, authentic rockabilly type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the singer come, came from a different musical background, but at the time appeared that he was into that too. Yeah. So we formed this band, and it, it did. We did like punk, and we liked, um, you know, a few bands at the time. But I was very adamant about making sure we didn't sound like them. I was trying not to sound like Reverend Horton Eat, or not to sound like Social Distortion, or. Um, Southern Culture on the Skids are the bands that were a little bit ahead of us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, growing up like the Stray Cats, but not trying to sound like that, trying to create our own thing. Going back more into the old stuff, the Scotty Moore and Dwayne Eddy and Ventures. That's what I was really into. And, you know, the bass player was on the same page and the singer liked all that, but he was pushing it more towards a mm-hmm. punk or a rock type of thing. Yeah. And I can only could only do so much of that with a 50s Gretsch guitar and you know what I I was fighting back on some of that like I didn't start this band to be a, a just a rock a, a punk band or a hard rock band or a metal band that was not the plan right. here yeah and that's what it was turning into yeah and that's what I was fighting back against mm. and then you know but and we didn't get along I'm not gonna mince words we didn't right. some days we you know me and the bass player I would come up with ideas and he would 
add in, but uh, you know, the singer came and did. He was in there all the time. We did most of the stuff was written, and and I think that happens in a lot of bands. It's not uncommon. You get the music together, and then right. you bring the singer. I don't want to waste right. a drummer's time or a singer's time by sitting there working out my parts. I mean, that's not fair to them. So, you know, but there is times where we did put it all together and present it and then do it. But, you know, uh, but there was always problems and tensions and stuff. And and I had problems too. I, you know, I all had, it's not everybody. I didn't never, at this point in my life, I don't blame it all on other people. I had drinking and partying and, all kinds of other unsteady life, and uh, but I really wanted to be a musician, and I cared about people. I cared about fans. I knew that if you um, don't have fan, don't have people that are into it. If you don't have a following, you don't have anything. Right. It doesn't matter how great you are. If you're not, you don't get people to come see you. You don't have a band. Right. You can be the greatest thing out there, but if you're not good to people and you don't give back to them um, I cared about that and I still do and um, so but the, it, things changed and it started to go the band started to go in a different direction yeah. and, uh, and we were also touring like crazy and you know it just it was a lot and we had gotten onto a bigger label and there was pressure and, and uh, yeah it just exploded and what should have happened was taking a break and taking time off and I didn't get that I didn't I was like I'm leaving I'm done pissed off and um, you know we just and I went my own way and they were got somebody to take over and, and um, so I just went and did my own thing I had music and I felt like I wrote I can write and I can play and I'll just keep doing that and I can keep doing these things right. so so it's like I'll start another band but you know once you are out of that loop <laughs> you gotta I went to the bottom I had right. to start open I start over again I it was like going to clubs and hey you're not in the band anymore you can't get in for free you can't do this you have to bands that used to open for me now I'm opening for them as the opening band at 8 o'clock Right. on a bill I went all the way to the bottom yeah and had to start all the way over again several times right and the music scene was changing too right it like after I, I left people the rockabilly thing and swing had come in but it was now going out and a lot of the local music scene had also changed the clubs were changing the people were leaving town and it was all hmm. uh, different things were going on so it's sort of like I think if we were more together and and I had you know and I was more mature and grown up and and we all were and uh, but I don't know if that band would have ever there was whatever would have lasted because of the yeah there was the nature of your relationships to begin yeah, with yeah. yeah I don't know <laughs> it's not a great place to be in because you know no. I I always associate being a ba- being in a band as in being like in a romantic relationship. Uh-huh. Because if it's... You it, are with four people. Yeah, yeah. You're but married it, to four people. Yeah. Spend a lot of time together. So, I mean, and we all have, we have all had our share of like bad relationships. Things yeah. that we knew is just like, well, this is fun for now, but uh, this is probably not healthy. 
You know? <laughs> well, you could tell right off the bat it's this right. is this is fucked up. Right. This is <laughs> so it is exactly that. And so it's you, a bad thing, but I'm going to keep dating this person. Well, because, because then the started going, it started going well. Yeah. You know, the you know there was something that was paying off that was making it worth the while. All the while, you're knowing in the back of your head, it's like this isn't going to go. This isn't going to end well. A house built on a weak foundation yep. is never going to stand up <laughs> over time. It's just going to fall apart. If your right. foundation, whether it's business or music or or anything you're doing, if you don't have a solid foundation, the bands that have survived through history are ones that were friends first. Right. You, there's so many bands that came and went that met in college or met after whatever, and they would just came and played, and then they split apart because... They weren't friends. There was no nothing that held them together. Like, this band's are still together over 40, 50 years, and they fight and they had their things. But in in, they were started as friends and they will end as friends. Right. As much much as you hear of guys in some bands, the Keith Richards and the Mick Jaggers not getting along. Right. Your money may be keeping them together, but the thing is that they were they've known each other for a long time. And they love each other. <laughs> to a degree, at least. <laughs> they, they may and they may not. I don't know them personally, but right. some people like can't stand each other, but money may keep it together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you're making money and you're, can, you can at least record or you can stand on stage and not want to kill each other. Right. That you don't have to love each other. Okay, too. a certain amount of respect, let's yeah, say. Yeah, just <laughs> realize that the band is bigger than the the four people in it or the five or whatever right if you can just get through that maybe you're looking back on that thing but i look at it now and some things are just never some bands are never going to do a reunion some just can't stand each other and don't care and don't respect each other you know that happens right so it'd be nice if every band could reform but sometimes it pushes people to go places that they didn't think they could go right and and that's good. And hey, you know, I we're n- I'm never going to get along with these guys. They don't like me, and I can't do anything to change that. If you think that the other guitar player is better, or or they're a better person, or whatever you think, it's not my problem. Right. I've got to figure out my own things. But it may, maybe I can take these songs and do something and sing or play them and you know I will at some point go and do what I did before and get that back out there because yeah. people ask me all the time Yeah, people ask me this band just did a reunion where were you? we came Right. we came to see you I had a guy that just came to one of my flea markets he's a, in a wheelchair paraplegic for almost 30 years and they went to the show because they thought I was going to be there. You want to talk about disappointment? Mm. <laughs> like, I, I came in my, you know, we came, all these people, we came to see you play. That's that's disaster. Yeah. That's like, you know, I said, well, they didn't ask me. I said, I would have loved to have warned everybody and told them. Um, and I feel bad. Uh, but maybe someday I will... I will make it up to people because that band doesn't care about, you know, you can act like you care, but if you don't show it, that's a different thing. Right. You have to show people that we, you care. And mm. whether you get along or not, 
you should if you're gonna call something a name that's what it should be <laughs> not your ver ideal version of it right that you think works the every band started with an original lineup and you can you know people come and go that's okay but if you're gonna call it one thing you gotta you know yeah there's ways to do it and keep everybody happy but hmm. some people just don't want to do that so you can't change them I guess so yeah I mean that's a whole different realm of like you know kind of like business issue like who owns the name and all that stuff like that and I don't yeah. know if you guys ever went down that alley um, I know that it's not something I ever really heard of or thought of as like being a musician in the city but obviously it has some weight to it it has something like some severe like legal clout yeah. that you need to kind of work out yep um but I don't know. It's one of those things where you're obviously not making an issue out of it. It's not, it's not in your interest to make a scene out of this or you know, fight the fight that whole uh, issue. Um, yeah, it's just I just like people to know what they're getting. Right. right. If you advertise something <laughs> as being, you know, a certain, whether it's cereal or a store or a band when you advertise something as being something it should be what you say it is right not what it isn't right. or what you know there's, there's things to it but I just I, I can't I can only control what I do mm -hmm. and that's I'm in charge of me I'm not in charge of anybody <laughs> <laughs> right you know I do my thing I've gone off I've done antiques and I've been doing that for a long time and and um but when people bring something up from the past, I'm, I'm, I thought the whole thing was over and gone and done, mm -hmm. and we couldn't, you know, those guys went away, and and then they got to keep bringing it back, right? And it's not cool, right? You got to be cool about shit. Like we and when I was in the Royal Crowns, we um, not to go on and on, but we got to onto this major label and we went to this meeting and going to talk about the artwork for the new record. And they were like, "Okay, well, here's what we're thinking." And you know, we know you guys have this, but we got this new. And back, this is 20 years ago, but at the time, this person was well. We've got this Justin Timberlake album, and we're going to kind of do the artwork like that. Mm -hmm. We're like, what? you talking about we're like we're not in that world right we're, in, we're um this rock and roll rockabilly slightly punky type right. of thing we're not a pop band right and we're not doing that we're not going there we're not we'll lose our whole that'll change our whole thing we were you know invested in this yeah we were adamant about holding our ground on a lot of this stuff and not selling out and to this image that they thought they were going to try and you know we wanted to advance but we didn't we're not like these people had no clue yeah <laughs> right. they were they went to business school they didn't know anything about bands they didn't go see bands they were business people right that's fine that's what you do but this is what we do and let us do it so that's that was that old thing of changing now because you have the internet and um you can be your own band and do it your own way without needing these record label people mm -hmm. yeah 
less hands in the oh in the back mix. in the day it was they they controlled everything now they you can you control it you're in charge so it's a whole different world anyway yeah it's a nice curve <laughs> <laughs> i listen to my music and i respect people and i keep it at a certain level and i do live my life at a certain trying to stay out of the way right low-key guy yeah no so. i know that about you i mean as long as i've known you he's always known you as that as just being kind of to yourself very quiet you know that's why actually kind of i appreciated the idea of being able to come here and be able to talk with you for a little bit because when do you really honestly get to speak you know sit down with somebody and actually talk with them for like a couple of hours straight just about whatever never with music really anymore yeah people don't even know that i'm in music and when i do these flea markets right. and travel people have no idea they think i'm just some guy Mm-hmm. selling stuff and just some and that's fine with me I like that <laughs> I yeah. like being out there there's a great story I was just telling um, somebody the other night about Scotty Moore who played with Elvis he he did he, after his career with Elvis he uh, played and produced other people but there was a long time of like 25 years where he didn't play guitar and he owned a tape a cassette tape duplication business and um, he just didn't, he was humble. He didn't talk about it. And, and uh, these people would come in and like, is Scotty Moore, hi, is Scotty Moore here? They're like, yeah, uh, he's in the back. And they'd be like, oh, we're really excited to meet him. And be like, why? And like, he just runs this business. And no, 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 do you know who that is? He played guitar with Elvis Presley. Right. And they'd be like, what? You never told us that. Yeah, no, no posters, no gold records, uh, nothing, nothing. No, nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah, never talked, never mentioned it. He was in a different career, and I'm sort of the same way. Occasionally, and you know, people be like talk about music, but uh, for the most part, you don't bring it up. No, it's not like you're gonna be like, no. hey, you knew I used to be in this band. <laughs> yeah, I was a rock star. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear it. They don't care. Right. It's like uh, you know, it, a lot of times, you know, time has gone by, and. Um, and it's not they don't know what it is it's they haven't heard of the band they don't and so it's you can't like say well I did this and I did that they don't they don't know they don't care right it's like right so you gotta you know I don't I'm not gonna be that old guy telling people I used to be somebody right because right now I'm not that somebody I'm a guy selling records and right. comics and antiques <laughs> yeah and i wanted to ask you about that too because uh obviously that's that's what you do now that's your 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 main job right that's yeah, your that's life what i do i travel around and and i'm also in providence been back here and i do these local antique shows and other events and that's what i do and i like it right so you're a good resource for me because as a as a also a record seller i mean i'm a, I'm a very novice and low level you know, um, dealer, if that's what you want to call it. But, you know, I was interested in talking with you because of that, because obviously you've been doing this for long enough and, and kind of wanted to know, like, well, you know, what's your, like, what brought you to do doing this as, like, your career? Like, what cho- what made you choose dealing <laughs> as a... Fell, another thing completely fell into it. Didn't plan on it. I had... Um, music had, was slowing down. The music scene was changing, and things happening with bands and I had stuff I always liked um, antiques and vintage stuff and Art. collected it and was into yeah. it and um, 
love the you know 50s and 60s and what they now call mid-century uh-huh. but we always just called it 50 stuff but uh I always loved antique things and um and then I just started like well I would I found this place called the Rhode Island Antique Mall and I was going in there and going to vintage shops all the time even when I was younger mm-hmm. and like well maybe I should try selling some of the stuff I have so I went in and I got a booth in this place and pay rent and you put stuff out and you sell it and then I just started to it started to pick up speed I didn't know I would be selling records and comics and you know all this I had no idea that was going to happen and I'd be doing this full time yeah no clue just happened yeah yeah so you it. it just took your your interest took a kind of a hold of that business yeah, if I'm gonna, in, in, if I always been this way with everything I've done in life, if I'm gonna do it, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> Not like, you know, there's times where it's, well, I'm doing a few things, but I try and really do it. So I'm focus on the one. Yeah, give it that, give that one thing that's its, its attention. Yeah, I had a friend years ago with the music, and he said, "You're one of the only people I ever met that took all the eggs." put them in one basket and made it work and like well that's what you're supposed to do right <laughs> i have many eggs in in many baskets it's it's i don't know it's a little well i think over the years daunting. i've become more of like spread things out and like still like you know i'm gonna tr- you know music and then this and other th- this art i'm into art and now there's lots of different things i'm trying to narrow it back down i mm-hmm. kind of lost Music kind of got, I lost, you know, that a little bit or a lot. So um, hmm. trying to get, eventually I'll get back to that. That sort of like, it was my thing that I did nonstop. You know, I practiced and played and was so into it. But then the music scene changed, so right. I changed. And I went with what I thought was, you know, working better for me. Yeah. So yeah. It's not, nothing is easy. There's no... This isn't an easy thing. It's you got, but it's one of the few things like music. I'll get up early. It'll go do it, and I like it. There's other jobs I've done, so many different types of work and stuff just to be a musician or be in antiques, and you know, if, uh, these are two music and antiques are two things I'll get up at any hour and go work. Yeah, at it. right. There's other things. I can't, like, I'm just, my brain is not going to get me up at 6.30 or 7 like other people to go do a job, a certain thing that I've got to be into it. Right. Once I'm into it, I'm all in. But I just don't do other things because I know I won't be, you know, right. it's not for me. So <laughs> Makes sense. The words to live by. Yeah. I try and, you know, that's it's not easy being that person or going off and doing your own thing when everybody tells you not to do that or it's not a cool thing or it's not a money-making thing or right it's always i've always you know i'm stubborn in certain ways but i'm always but i'm driven yeah and i have passion to do certain things so if you believe you can do something and you work hard at it you can it will you know yeah you got to be realistic too you got to know like i don't think um you gotta look and go. Do I have talent? Am I bringing something to people that work? You have to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Checking myself every day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Damn>. me too. 
You got to do it. It's like, what am I doing here right now? <laughs> yeah. Is this, or, you know, there's certain things you do just because you like it. It's a hobby, but other things. Is this paying the bills? Is this, um, right. is this realistic? Is it, you know, is this working? Is it, like, I see people in my business and I ask them, how'd you do today? And they'll tell me, you know, we have a, I have a scale of what's good, what's great, what's really good, you know, how much money is that? And right. Because my thing is not based on, you know, I don't get, I never know what I'm getting per day. It's like certain professions, yeah. like a bartender, a hairdresser. You kind of go in, which, you're like, I don't know, it could be really busy today, and yeah. I could walk away with 100 bucks, or I could walk with 20, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Some, tough. some things you know what you're getting paid every week. My thing. You don't ever know. I have no idea. Yeah. It's if people want to spend money um, and the economy, if they're in a good mood. It's all kinds of things. So right. You have to be, you have to, it's, you have to work hard, but you got to work smart too. Right. Hard work. It's that, you know, cliche, but it's true. You got to be smart too. Yeah. <laughs> you learn yeah. the hard way sometimes. It's with everything. So. <laughs> All right, Johnny. Hey, well, thank you very much for doing this with me. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Absolutely. Appreciate let's, let's it. Let's listen to some Chet Atkins. Cool.